Hello, everybody. You're listening to a Bitcoin and Markets live stream. My name is Ansel Lindner, and on this show, I give you a unique perspective on Bitcoin, macro, and geopolitics. You can find me all over. Follow me on Twitter at Ansel Lindner. The Telegram channel is doing really well, so go to t.me forward slash Bitcoin and Markets to join there to listen to these live streams live. You can find the show in any podcast app. Just search for Bitcoin and Markets or go to bitcoinandmarkets.com forward slash find dash us and you can find most big podcast apps will be listed there. We're also on Rumble and Odyssey so you can find our channels and go subscribe and give us likes so we can um, reach more people over there on those video apps. We have lost our YouTube channel. And lastly, make sure you're subscribed over on bitcoinandmarkets.com to get notified of all of my content. All right, let's jump in to today's topics. Today is December 2nd, 2022. Hope you guys are all doing well. A little bit slower news day for Bitcoin. So I have a couple of things I'm going to do on this episode. I'm going to read through a tweet thread by Daniel Batten. I did post the thread reader in the Telegram group, so you guys can check that out. I'm uh, going to read through that and then go through the jobs report a little bit and then open it up, open up the mic, see what you guys have to say. So let's dive in to this first thing here. So Daniel Batten at DS Batten on Twitter. This is a thread about why the ECB is attacking Bitcoin right now. You know, throughout the years, we've seen them attack DLT or adopt blockchain, really crap on quote unquote crypto and Bitcoin. But really, they haven't done something so blatantly against Bitcoin as this last blog post that I read out the other day, uh, Bitcoin's last stand. So anyway, this is Daniel Batten's rationale, like why this is happening now and just read through it and make comments on you know, what my thoughts are. So here we go. Why the ECB attack on Bitcoin is 2022's most bullish event. Until now, central banks like ECB have only attacked Bitcoin through their derivative products. For example, DMB is a central bank, but it has never attacked Bitcoin head on. Instead, it uses its derivative product, and that's the Digiconomist, a website run by their employee, Alex Devere. I'm going to get all these names wrong <laughs> to make up data about Bitcoin because Guardian, Bloomberg, New York Times, etc. rely on this website. These media outlets are central bank derivatives. Next, two things happen. One, environmental organizations like Earth Justice, Sierra Club, The Ecologist, the WEG, etc. Pick up these media narratives and start writing sensationalist anti-Bitcoin pieces. These articles about Bitcoin are central bank derivatives. It's kind of interesting thing that he's setting up here. Um, I do agree that, you know, just think about what's what has been unearthed with Sam Bankman and how much he was funding around the world. Uh, I mean, that is just a small little slice of the corrupt money flows that will go to fund all of this FUD that they can put out about Bitcoin. All right, let's continue. Altcoiners like Chris Larson, Ripple partner with central banks to create their central bank digital currencies. Chris Larson, 
Chris Larson and Ripple are now central bank derivatives. These altcoiners give substantial sums of money to environmental organizations like Greenpeace USA to attack Bitcoin via a Change the Code campaign run by Clean Up Bitcoin. The Change the Code campaign is a central bank derivative. Environmental groups write articles and blog posts like, and then he links to one, citing other anti-Bitcoin authors. Greater than 80% of those authors cite Digiconomist as their main source. Oh, imagine that. Yeah, that's a central bank derivative. Cited authors, CB derivatives. The article, a CB derivative. The money that paid for the articles, CB derivative. And he has a lot of links to and different images that he includes in this. Um, continuing, all these derivatives come from the same source, DNB, a central bank. The information economy is like the economy itself. You can create a derivative product around an instrument that is toxic. Similarly, once people realize it is toxic, the whole information economy implodes. The reason central banks put anti-Bitcoin information into the information derivatives market is simple. Bitcoin disintermediates them. In other words, the more people who use Bitcoin, the fewer central banks we need. Uh, there are already 300 million Bitcoin users. And then he quotes Willy Wu. And Willy Wu has this chart. He's, he says, Bitcoin took six months to get to 1,000 users, five years to find a million. And today, 13.8 years from inception, it has 300 million plus users, 4% of the world population. At current growth rates, 1 billion users will be hit in the next three years. That's 12% of the world. Yeah, that's a pretty interesting S-curve of adoption, right? And we have been waiting. We have been talking about the S-curve of adoption in Bitcoin for a very long time. And it's all about network effects, right? The more people that join the network, the more benefit is accrued to everyone. And so the the laggards, they can they don't really have a choice but to join because everyone else is so much uh getting so much benefit from being part of the network they have to join join the network so not only do we have like a technology technology adoption curve from a utility standpoint like number go up and being able to do censorship transactions censorship resistant transactions and using a lightning network and doing these types of innovations but we also have the just the network effects of money i guess is so technology and money money is a technology but they both have reinforcing network effects in this case in bitcoin's case so i think it's very very interesting to think 1 billion users in the next 3 years that's let's hope let's hope that's correct all right during the occupy movement central bankers realized the risk people would wake up to see that our financial system had its roots in uh, had its roots central bankers who Oh my goodness, there's a couple of misspellings and or double words here, but uh, would wake up and see that our financial system had its roots, central bankers whose money printing created wealth transfer from the poor to the rich. Those who caused the crisis were bailed out, okay? At the same time, in response to these injustices, Satoshi Nakamoto created an open source alternative to central bank control controlled only by the consensus of the people bitcoin stella assange says bitcoin is the real occupy wall street of course that's 
Julian Assange's wife. Then he has a couple images here. Uh, with these twin threats, what better way for central bankers to divert attention from their complicity in creating unstable economies that widen wealth gaps than to feed private citizens information that can cause them to attack its competitor? The disrupted will always attack the disruptor using the most emotive issues of the day. They always start with indirect attacks using direct attack only when the derivative attacks fail. Now, that's the main point here. So um, they're using these indirect attacks to smear Bitcoin uh, for years and years. Of course, they have been doing this, but um, now it's it's become more direct. So that's what he's saying is the derivative attacks have seemingly failed because we are adding, you know, 300 million plus users continuing to grow with these network effects and the derivative derivative attacks are too weak at this point. You know, they have to bring out the big guns of the direct attacks. So that is actually a bullish sign. And that's his point here. So let's continue. And the derivatives are failing as I documented last month in this article. And then he linked to one of his articles in the hit that article tweet says environmental organizations worldwide, please take note from the example Greenpeace USA has given at their own cost. It's time to stop believing and spreading the misinformation and start learning about Bitcoin, obviously. So he continues. So the fact that the ECB is now directly attacking Bitcoin means we have reached stage two of the attack. This is a very po positive signal for Bitcoin as change in strategy signals what the derivative attacks or that the derivative attack is starting to fail and the attacker knows it. Bitcoin is resilient. ECB's Bitcoin obituary, oh my goodness, guys. Bitcoin is resilient. The ECB's Bitcoin obituary was the 467th. Central bankers, on the other hand, are vulnerable. They are the disrupted, not the disruptor. The horse cart, not the car. The CD, not the MP3. The newspaper, not the internet. History tells us what happens to them. They lose. All right. Um, good. Good thread here. Very interesting take on this that, you know, the attacks are getting more direct and that is a positive thing. Um, I used to be very much in the same boat against central banks and I still am. Like the need for a central bank with sound money is much less. I mean, there is no real need for a central bank, but most people see the central bank as the root of all evil. And I really don't. I think individuals are good. There's good in everybody. Their individuals are good. You know, when you meet them on the street or uh, your relationships in your life, um, if you ask one person to make a decision, usually they're they make a a kind, good decision for others, for mankind, and they'll sacrifice. They're willingly. They will willingly sacrifice their own well-being in many cases. Uh, if asked directly as an individual. But once you put people into groups, it becomes a different story. Uh, we get tribalism and we get things like that. And then on top of that, you put people into environments that are very, very economically challenging. And I don't mean like in the ghettos or whatever. I mean like actual geography uh, where it's very hard to make a living. There's not much economy in the middle of the Sahara Desert, right? And so you 
the the globe is a patchwork of different geographies that have different levels of economic potential and the and humans when they get into groups and societies they will have um you know they they'll prefer their group or their tribe to the outside and so you get the rubbing up of these different geographies and the different peoples and different civilizations and societies and it's bound to lead to conflict okay so that's where i think most of this uh hatred for the elites and hatred for the central banks i think it is just part of being a human i mean there's there is i used to be a hardcore anarchist wanting to get rid of the government and stuff I still think that that would be the most efficient way to organize society, but I'm more, much more of a realist now. And it's it. there's going to be a government. And we can say that the government is bad and the government is inefficient. And we should continue to say that and make our arguments for that. And hopefully over hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of years, you know, humans will slowly evolve that we are... Uh, we have an in-group of the globe versus an in-group of our local geography. But for right now, with the level of technology that we have and everything, um, we still have conflict and we're always going to have conflict and people are always going to band together for protection. And it's that's all I can say about that. So I, I hate less on central bankers today. Also, me understanding that the way we got to the position we are, like I always thought that there was this uh, conspiracy uh, to make 1971 happen. And, you know, they, they confiscated the gold and they closed the gold window and there's this conspiracy out there. But the more I've learned is the more that I appreciate the emergent nature of money. I don't believe central planning can achieve their aims okay in very limited respects they can like central planners can produce the right number of tanks but they can't produce the right number of tanks and xyz right they they only have a very limited thing and so when you people have if they believe these conspiracy theories about the central banks and about money in general you have to believe that they there's some omniscient central planner out there uh, that has made everything work as well as it has, and it has worked quite well. Just look back at the, you know, last hundred years, the population has gone hockey stick on the planet. Um, our standard of living has also gone hockey stick on the planet. And so like if there, if it was due to central planning and central planning ruled the world and there was some omniscient central planner, we wouldn't have had all of these great benefits that we've had over the last hundred years or so. So I have to think that this is part of the evolution. So why did we choose money? Well, why did we choose the current money that we have? It wasn't because the central bankers said, oh, we really want this kind of money. I mean, I was just talking to somebody. Was that yesterday's live stream? Oh no, that was on a FedWatch yesterday with Nolan. And uh, I brought up Alan Greenspan and, and he said, did you know Alan Greenspan was a disciple of Ayn Rand? And I was like, well, 
yeah, I knew he was a gold bug and he was in that kind of community. So even the central bankers liked gold. I mean, this isn't like they wanted to go down this way, but the money evolved. Okay. The money evolved. Some deposits were deposited in London and they lent out and created credit and started printing credit-based money outside of the United States. And now as the U.S. economy has shrunk relative to the world, the the uh, U.S. dollar system outside the United States has grown. It's like probably three, four, five X of the domestic dollar markets. So, um, you know, this is a a beast that had a mind of its own and they wanted that. They wanted that because inflation is awesome. You know, <laughs> inflation feels awesome when you're in going up the bubble. When the bubble is being inflated, it feels great. You know, everybody's a genius in a bull market. Now, just think, we've had 75 years of inflation in the in the world. Everybody feels good. Everybody loved it. Everybody wanted more. I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying that's right. But that's what happened. And so money, naturally, the, cre- the pure credit untethered from a, a commodity, that pure credit money won. It literally won on its own merits because it was able to be inflated like this. And the world loved it. And the world had so much room to grow. So many new technologies were coming out that were low-hanging fruit. You know, the, the leapfrog effect that people talk about. You know, places in Africa and Southeast Asia and stuff, they didn't have to put in landlines. They could put in uh, cellular towers. Now, some places can not even put in uh, 3G. They can go right to 5G. So the technology plus the very unique political situation in the world of having a global hegemon that was so far removed from the rest of the world, being the United States, that it created this situation that credit grew like mad and everybody wanted it. Everybody wanted it. Of course, there was a small group of Austrian gold bugs that I was a part of, my father was a part of. We saw that this was a global bubble and that it would pop. And gold bugs have been saying it's manipulated, but it's not manipulated. It's just that's what the world freaking wanted. And that's why it won. But what comes after a credit bubble? A bust. And that is what we're dealing with since... We had a slow motion upward of global credit from basically World War II to 2008. It really picked up speed in uh, after the Soviet Union fell, 91. And so we had this, this huge bubble. And then in 2008, 2009, that changed. And now we are in the bust. Now we are in the bust. And... The world will go back to sound money, naturally. It's not going to be any conscious effort. It's going to be the hive mind of people saying, well, I have to, I have, to have Bitcoin in my reserves. I mean, th- these guys that I'm trading with, they won't accept my dollars anymore because the U.S. government freezes all their stuff. So, yeah, we ha- they are demanding some neutral currency. How about Bitcoin? Yeah, let's do Bitcoin. You know, and slowly but surely, it becomes the global reserve currency. 
And it might happen very quickly if Willie Woo's uh, curves are correct and you have, you know, 1 billion users within three years from now. It could happen very, very quickly. The vertical part of that adoption curve, it probably surprises everybody, you know? So anyway, that's all I had to say about this. That was a long thing. Okay, let's talk quickly about payrolls. So this is a headline this morning. Something is rigged. Unexplained record 2.7 million jobs gap emerges in broken payrolls report. A superficial take of today's jobs report would note that both jobs and earnings blew past expectations. And yeah, I saw that it was way past expectations on both wage growth grew by like 0.6% and it was estimated at 0.3%. So that's a doubling of the expectation forecast. Also the numbers for was it was, yeah, it must've been new jobs, right? Uh, new jobs was estimated like 200,000 and it was like 260,000. So it's another blowout of that number. So these, the, he's saying the superficial jobs report today blew past expectations flying in the face of Fed rate hikes. And while that is accurate at the headline level, it couldn't be further from the truth if one actually digs a little deeper in today's job numbers. Recall that back in August, September, and October, we showed that a stark divergence had opened between the household and establishment surveys that comp comprised the monthly jobs report. And since March, the former has been stagnant while the latter has been rising every single month. So the household survey is stagnant and the establishment survey has been rising every single month. In addition to that, full-time jobs were plunging while part-time jobs were surging and the number of multiple job holders soared. Fast forward to today when the inconsistencies not only continue to grow, but have become downright grotesque. Consider the following. The closely followed establishment survey came in above expectations. Oh, there we go. At 263,000 above the 200,000 expected. A record seventh consecutive beat versus expectations. And down modestly from last month's upward revised 284,000. Numbers which confirm that at a time when virtually every major company is announcing mass layoffs, the BLS has a single laser-focused political agenda, not to spoil the political climate at a time when Democrats just lost control of the House, as somehow both construction, plus, plus 20,000, and manufacturing, plus 14,000, added jobs, according to the BLS. When even ADP now reports that these two sectors combined shed more than 100,000 workers in November. So how does the BLS, this establishment survey, how does it show that construction and manufacturing added 20 and 14,000 respectively, but other reports are showing that those two industries are shrinking by 100,000 workers in a month? And I kind of believe the shrinking 100,000 workers more than I believe the, the adding. I mean, just with my feel of the economy, me going out in society, you know, talking to my neighbors, talking to uh, other parents on the softball team and stuff that you can you can feel what's going on. If, if I say a, a term like, oh, you know, 
the economy's hard for everybody right now. They, I get a nod. I don't get a, huh, really? Well, I just got to raise it work. Or, you know, whatever that, the case is, we're, we're hiring. So, yeah, it's you can feel it out there just by going out in society. Um, let's continue. Alas, there is only so much a Department of Labor can hide under the rug because when looking at the above-mentioned gap between the household and establishment surveys, which we have been pounding the table on since the summer, it just blew out by a whopping 401,000 as a result of the 263,000 increase in the number of non-farm payrolls tracked by the household survey, offset by a perplexing plunge in the number of people actually employed, which tumbled 168,000 tracked by the household survey. So they're saying that the number, the jobs were added, 263,000, but 138 jobs were lost. So how does that, the total number of jobs, how does that work? And I, of course, Zero Hedge is, you know, has a bias here and all that. Um, and they think the BLS is cooking the books. I think they might, you might be able to cook some of the books, but it is pretty much open source as far as I know. And that is goes against a lot of what people think about the CPI as well, the CPI being cooked. Uh, it is open source. You know, you can dive into this and run the numbers yourself. I mean, you can't collect the numbers maybe, but you can run the numbers and maybe do some investigative journalism and, and track down these, uh, you know, the sources and find, find it out. So it's possible to do that. Um, what I think is these, these two things are measuring something different. And we see this also in the CPI and the, the PCE, the, you know, the measures of quote unquote inflation is I, I was just talking on FedWatch yesterday about the different components of core PCE. It's goods, housing, and services. Okay. Goods is crashing. It's went up really fast and now it's going down really fast. Housing has come up slowly and it is just peaking, hopefully just peaking and going to roll down over the next year because it's a lagging, slow moving indicator. And we, we've talked about our component. We've talked about this many times here. Um, and services has been a pretty mixed bag. There hasn't been any clear trend. It's just kind of blah. So when you take all these things together, right, you have three components that two are like polar opposites of each other. And it's probably the same thing with this household survey and the establishment survey. I don't know, but I would assume that they measure slightly different things. And if you measure slightly different things, you're going to get massively different outcomes in a crazy, crazy economy like today. The economy is completely shifting. Okay. Politically, it's shifting. Um, there's some places doing really well and there's some places doing really poorly. Certain sectors and certain Industries in certain places are doing better and others, you know, there's a reworking of the economy, actually a people reworking and a brick and mortar reworking that's going on with the economy. So if these two things have a different measurement, they're measuring things slightly differently. And so it's coming out like this. So you don't have to resort to saying, oh, it's manipulation. It's manipulation. I mean, it's possible. I would say maybe 25% of this could be manipulation. But if you're going to manipulate the BLS stuff, why don't you 
put pressure on the household survey too and manipulate that. Like, why would they let the household survey call their call out their manipulation? Why would they allow that to happen? It just, you know, so anyway, let's continue with this. Furthermore, as shown in the next chart, since March, the number of employed workers has declined on four of the last eight months, while the much more gamed non-farm payrolls has been up every month. Okay, amazing. What is even more perplexing is that despite the continued rise in non-farm payrolls, the household survey continues to telegraph growing weakness. And as of November 30th, the gap that opened in March has since grown to a whopping 2.7 million workers, which may or may not exist anywhere besides the spreadsheet models of the BLS. In fact, one look at the chart below confirms, okay, blah, blah, blah. Showing this another way, there were 158.458 million employed workers in March, and there was 158 million in November. There's actually a very, very tiny increase. So it was 158.458 in March, and in November, it was 158.470. So what is that? That is showing another way, uh, employed workers. So there was only 20,000 more employed workers in November than March. Okay. The number of payrolls, which as a reminder is the number the market follows, reported increases by 2.7 million. So really only 12,000 jobs were added in that time. But the establishment survey said 2.7 million jobs were added during that time. Yeah, this is getting really crazy. So as an aside, it appears that this is the first time the Apolitical Bureau of Labor Statistics has pulled such a bizarre divergence off. It happened right before Obama's re-election. Oh, interesting. Okay. And then again, right before Hillary's 100% guaranteed election because one wouldn't want a soft economy to adversely impact her election odds. It gets better. Digging in even deeper into the far more accurate and nuanced household survey, we find that the November drop in employment was the result of a plunge in part-time workers, more than offsetting the modest increase in part-time workers, which had declined in three of the past four months heading into November. Okay, so part-time workers are plunging. Interesting. Further to this point, as shown below, since March, the U.S. has lost 398,000 full-time employees, offset by a modest gain of 190,000 part-time employees, while a whopping 291,000 workers were forced to get more than one job over the same period. And that's what we've been kind of speculating here over this year is where are all these jobs being added? And it's mainly people getting second and third jobs. It's not people. So that is when you talk about employed workers, that's why employed workers is flat because people are getting multiple jobs. It means 2.7 million people basically have gotten a second job um, this year. That seems to be fine. I I can buy that. Definitely buy that. It doesn't have to be manipulation. All right. And while none of the above is really new, we have documented a record divergence between payrolls and employment for a year and a half now. There were 
two new developments. First, to facilitate its rigging of the data, the BLS has resorted to the oldest trick in the book, boosting the core goal-seek factor, the business birth-death adjustments, which in October hit a record high of 255,000. And I'll, okay, that's very interesting. So they use a adjustment called birth-death that they say is causing a lot of the problems here. I mean, there could be some nuance there, but yeah, it could be that there are a lot of deaths or I don't know, but this does not have the oldest trick in the book. Again, it's open source. Go check it out. I mean, it is a little bit funny that this happened before Obama and Hillary's elections uh, and it's happening now, but it's not before a presidential election right now. It was before a midterm, yes, but not before a presidential election. And that's what the examples they used. So I don't know. I just am very, mm, I'm hesitant to believe that this is outright deception because I understand how the, the government works, right? The government is one, it's fairly transparent and two, uh, you know, fairly open source with how they do things. Well, th that's, that's another thing. So people don't like the CPI and then they say, Hey, use the Chatham index. Well, the Chatham index is not open source. I don't know how, what weights they're using, what they're adjusting. Nobody does. And they have a stated goal on their website that they are going to show inflation higher. They say the CPI understates inflation. Their, their goal is to show a higher inflation rate. And we don't know what weights they're using. So I, I prefer to, I don't like trust the CPI, but I think it's better than the chat chat wood or Chatham index, whatever it is. It's better than shadow stats. It's definitely not perfect. But the BLS here, Again, it doesn't have to be nefarious, malicious activity. It can be that their, their algorithms, their weights that they're using on different things are messed up and they're getting bad data, right? So the government or the CDC, whoever re reports this data for this birth death adjustment uh, could be giving them bad data. So it doesn't have to be the BLS. It doesn't have to be like um, we're trying to manipulate this data, only that it turns out that way and the household survey and the establishment survey are measuring two different things you know like if we looked at cpi just for housing we would be thinking that inflation is actually picking up right now right when inflation is over for the most part so it's it's how you look at it it's the algorithms used and i'm sure after these episodes they go back and they tweak things too so anyway i'm going to shut up now i probably got myself in some trouble with some stupid stuff i said I'm going to open it up to guys on Telegram. So go ahead and raise your hand while I'm waiting for that. Uh, guys on Twitter Spaces, welcome. Man, we got a big group in here today. My name is Ansel Lindner. This is Bitcoin and Markets. It's mainly a Telegram stream, but I simulcast it over onto Spaces. So you can join the Telegram at t.me forward slash Bitcoin and Markets. Trying to build up that community. I post there a lot more than I post other places. And I do these streams pretty much every weekday. And I put them out on my podcast feed. You can uh, go to bitcoinandmarkets.com and sign up. You can find me in any podcast app. Just look for Bitcoin and Markets. Um, what else? Oh, I'm on Rumble and Odyssey because I got kicked off of YouTube. So check me out on Rumble and Odyssey. And if you do subscribe, share, share in the bear, share in the bear market. This, you know, the bear market has been long and hard for content creators out there, 
especially ones that have never shilled a shitcoin in the hit, the six year history of my podcast. I've never shilled a shitcoin and never taken money from people wanting me to shill shitcoins. Uh, and so bear markets are extremely hard on creators like me that try to walk the straight and narrow with that stuff. So uh, you can support me for $5 a month. If you want to over on Bitcoin and markets.com, I appreciate all the help, all the support. All right. Anybody over on telegram have their hand raised? No. All right. Well, I droned on long enough today, guys. So thanks for joining me. I'll see you guys tomorrow. Bye.